Let's turn our Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter 18. The 18th chapter of the book of Matthew. I appreciate that good singing, but mainly because it's got such a great, strong message in it. You know, one thing about being a Bible believer, it'll mess you up in some things. Sometimes people say, man, so-and-so's got a new gospel album out. And uh, boy, it's a real good one, you know, and you get to list, you start listening to words and you start actually listening to what's being said. And after you've read your Bible a few times, you realize, boy, this is a whole lot of baloney they're singing about. <laughs> but then you hear, when you hear good gospel songs like what we just heard, that, that was rich. That's got some doctrinal content to it. And so praise the Lord. I appreciate that good singing. You ever think about when he says uh, surety? It stands there. A surety is an amazing thing. Uh, surety, you know, the Bible warns us about uh, being surety one for another. And basically, I would liken that to being a co-signer on a loan. In other words, you're going down to the bank. Somebody says, <clears throat> I need to take out, you know, uh, $100,000. And the bank says, we'll do that, but we're not so sure you're good for it. Is there somebody that would be good for it that if they would co-sign We'll let, if they'll be your surety, in other words, they're going to assure me that if when you default or don't pay, they will do so. And so, you know, if I wanted to take out $100,000 and the bank, maybe I moved down here to New Caney, Texas, and the bank says, well, Brother Altop, we'd like to help you, but you're going to have to have a surety. So I'd come to your pastor, and he would come down, and I'd say, this man would be good for it if I can't pay it. And they'd say, okay. But you know something, Jesus Christ signed, co-signed for us when he knew we weren't going to be able to pay. He knew we didn't have the funds, and he still was our surety, and that's a blessing, amen. Now tonight I'm going to preach a message that I'm a little nervous about preaching, and uh, I'll do that and get your attention right there. Not because I think that uh, there's some kind of controversy on this subject, but this is such a multifaceted subject that uh, I even asked your pastor this afternoon a couple of things that he teaches about it because the deeper you go into this subject, the more objections can be raised and the more questions that people can have. But this is called revival and if you want to have revival, you've got to be willing to get open and honest with God about everything. And that's when he starts moving is when you start unzipping the gym bag and dumping it all out there. And the truth of the matter is, <clears throat> I think some Christians cannot progress further in their Christian life because they have some areas of bondage in their life that they might not even be aware is actually, that actually has them in bondage. And sometimes just a superficial discussion of the subject may cause people to say, oh no, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm all right with that. But the truth of the matter is, <clears throat> I'm just going to challenge you tonight to examine your heart with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Because maybe you would say tonight, I'm going to be preaching with the help of the Lord on the subject of forgiveness, forgiving one another, forgiving people for, for offenses, for slanders, for trespasses. And I realize when I get into this subject, I'm a pastor, I've been, this is the 15th year, I'm moving into my 15th year, which is not a long time, but it has given me some time to learn a few things and to hear some people's stories. And I'm telling you, human beings can be cruel to other human beings. 
And there could be some things that are, are horrendous. Things that maybe you've gone through. Things that nobody knows but you and the person. And it could be, I, I preached this message at Bluegrass Pike and I had a lady, I mean, before I could get down the steps to, in front of the communion table, she had left the back of the auditorium and come to where I was at and she says, that's my problem. She goes, I've never forgiven this person. And it was something that had happened to her as a young girl over 60 years ago. And that stuff has a way of hanging on to you. And I'm not here tonight to say it's easy to do or some kind of superficial Joel Osteen kind of, I'll just forgive and forget, it's no problem. I want to show you what the Bible says so that you can get victory. Did you know forgiving people is really for you more than it is for the other person even? Because what you don't realize is if you hold on to unforgiveness in your heart, you may bury it way down in there. But it, it develops a thing called a root of bitterness. And that Bible says that root of bitterness will spring up and defile many. And it will cause you to fail of the grace of God. It will halt your Christian life. And I hope tonight that maybe the Lord will work through this truth we're going to look at to help you and to deliver you if possibly you're in bondage in this area somewhere. So let's look at our Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. A great passage. And I'll say this for um, those that may hear this message in the future or someone here. I'm a Bible believer and I'm dispensational. I believe the book of Matthew is very heavily Jewish in its flavor. Uh, But that doesn't mean that I can't find Christian truth in it. Okay. So I understand where we're at doctrinally. I understand that the Gospels were written to people who were under the law. That's good to know. Not because it means you throw the Gospels out. Just so you know why certain things are said. For instance, our Lord Jesus Christ healed some lepers one time. And he told them to go show themselves to the priest. Why did he do that? Because that's what they were supposed to do under the law. It's good to know that. So I understand where I'm at. Nevertheless... Paul, the Apostle Paul, our Apostle says that the words that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks are wholesome words and words that will help you. And so here we are in Matthew 18. We're going to glean some, with the help of the Lord, some practical truth out of this tonight. Let's pick it up in verse 21. Let's all stand if you can. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. We have a conversation going on here between the Apostle Peter and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to read from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. The Bible says this. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. I can picture Peter in my mind going, seven times. That's a big number to forgive somebody. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, there may be a deeper meaning here than what I see, but I know this. If somebody offends me and trespasses against me 490 times, I don't think Jesus is teaching that now on the 491st time you can start slapping somebody. I think he's simply saying your your forgiveness is to extend farther than their offenses. And he says in verse 23, therefore, now he's going to give a great story to help Peter get a hold of this. He says, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment 
to be made. 10,000 talents is a big debt. Big. So much so that this man and his family are going to be sold into debtor's prison, if you will, and all that he has in order to uh, reconcile, if you will, in order to pay the debt that he owes this certain king. The servant, verse 26, therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant, boy, look at this, this reminds you of someone, does it not? Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same, and that's a wonderful verse right there. Everybody, can, you can see yourself there, can't you? We just heard it sung about, there's my surety standing in my place. We heard the pastor open in prayer where he said, we're coming to you, Lord, in the righteousness that you have so graciously imputed to us. That's wonderful. I never gets old to hear that. And when I come to a passage like this, I say, oh, I can see God being moved with compassion toward me, a sinner, who owes him so much, and yet he forgave me my debt. What a wonderful thing. Now verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, not 10,000 talents, but a hundred pennies is what that is. About a dollar. He says this, he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. This man has to be a Baptist. Saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And came and told, by the way, I hope that your actions in a local church doesn't make the other church members very sorry. In other words, they're looking going, can you believe he's acting this way? I can't believe this. I'm sorry to see this. Says they were very sorry. And they came and told unto their Lord, that's the king, that certain king that forgave the 10,000 talent debt. Remember him? Came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant. He says, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now the words of Jesus Christ, verse 35 So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. I think it's the greatest gospel passage on forgiving one another that you're going to find. Now let me just clear the air right here before I bow my head and pray. We do not forgive in order to be forgiven by God. I think that's important to point that out. Say, wait a minute, that's kind of what he's saying right here. No, this man was tormented because he had an unforgiving spirit. We're going to talk about that. But Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In other words, even the principle holds true in this passage. This man who's been forgiven so much, how could he not be forgiving towards somebody else? That owed him so little 
compared to how much he owed to the great king. In other words, you should have seen compassion and mercy and pity in action and been so thrilled at how the king that you owe 10,000 talents to has dealt with you. How is it that you can't spread that around to your fellow man? So we forgive because we've been forgiven. And I want, to, I want to make that clear. Let's pray and ask the Lord for some help tonight on this subject. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for the promise of eternal life and the hope of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I see him pictured in the certain king. And my sin, Lord, uh, mounted, had mounted up. And Lord, that it was like this 10,000 talent debt that there was just no way I was going to pay it. And Lord, you frankly forgave me of the full debt. And I know based upon the gospels what it is and how it is that you forgave me of so much. It's because of the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his glorious resurrection from the dead that makes it possible that I can stand uncondemned in your sight tonight. And I thank you for that. But I pray, Lord, you'd help me and help these people and Lord, I don't, know, I don't know why this is so heavy on my heart to preach tonight, but it is, and I pray that it would help the church family. And I pray you'd meet with us this evening. And Lord, I pray the truth would be applied appropriately and properly in people's hearts. We ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Now, as I said to begin <clears throat> this evening, I think that many times Christians stall out in their walk with God. The Bible says that we are to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We ought to be progressing forward. We ought to uh, have more victory now than we had this time last year. We ought to know him better now than we knew last year. We should have learned some more about him. That's really what Christianity is, is getting to know God on an intimate and personal level. To actually know him and understand him. He's not just a math formula that you put in all the right equations in order to come to where and rather it's a living reality it's a living relationship but there are things like with any relationship that can stall it or can hinder that relationship and uh, one man that I read after said that he believed after 30 years of pastoring and dealing with Christian people who were in bondage that unforgiveness was the number one thing that stalled them out Uh, The fact that they harbored unforgiveness in their heart toward uh, a a pastor, toward another Christian, toward a former church, or toward whatever it is. He says that what that does is that begins to eat them on the inside like acid. And he says, and it stops and it grieves the Spirit of God and it stops their progress and their maturing as a Christian. And so this is not an easy thing for me to stand up here and say, I just need to forgive because I don't know what the situations are. I am sure there's people in here that says, Preacher, if, you, if I could tell you what happened to me, you might change your tune. Well, you know, probably on a human level, I understand that, but I am not here preaching human level stuff. I'm preaching heaven level stuff. This is supernatural. This is stuff that can only be performed by those who have been forgiven and have known the breathless wonder of having their sin debt wiped away. This can only take place in your life by the grace of God. But we have that grace. We have been empowered and enabled to do exactly what God commands and expects of us. So let me give you just a few things from this passage about forgiveness. You can either enjoy the freedom of forgiveness or you can continue in the bondage of bitterness. The bondage of bitterness. 
That's a terrible thing. And it can defile many. But I'll say this. Number one, what's the definition of forgiveness? Let's just get down plain level, ground level here. What is forgiveness? Well, let me first of all tell you what forgiveness is not. This might help you. Forgiveness, number one, is not reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people. In other words, uh, you forgiving somebody that has trespassed against you, abused you, harmed you, slandered you. I'm talking about real offenses and trespasses. Not this uh, sissified, sensitive, I perceive that you didn't shake my hand and I don't like you no more. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about real offenses, real problems, real, real issues. Listen, it is not reconciliation. And here's what I mean. In your mind, you're going to be sitting there. The devil's going to say, what he's telling you to do is to reconcile with this person and there's no reconciliation. No, forgiveness opens the road to reconciliation, but does not necessarily, it is not the same thing. You can forgive somebody and not be reconciled to them. In other words, you're forgiving them because this is what my Lord told me to do. But it doesn't necessarily fix the thing. They have to want to reconcile. For that relationship to be restored. So, and you say, well, if I forgive them, they're going to get away with it. When God forgave you, <clears throat> did we just get away with it? No, somebody had to pay for it. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean all oh, what you did wasn't wrong. My sins were all wrong and were against God. When he justified me and took my sins away, he wasn't saying, ah, what you did was no big deal. No, the fact that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross shows how big a deal my sins were in his sight. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. It might not bring you back to a place of relationship with that person that you're forgiving. Did you know, by the way, sometimes people have to forgive someone who's already died. Because see, and, and you definitely won't be reconciled in this life to the person that's died. But it, you say, well, I don't understand. Listen, the, the unforgiveness is killing you. And so you might have to forgive somebody that you know you're never going to be reconciled to. you got to release them. But well, that's not the definition. I'm telling you what it's not. Number two, it's not restoration necessarily. What I mean by that, here's what I mean. I could live in such a way that I would forfeit the privilege of being a pastor. The church could forgive me, but they could not allow me to, it would be something that would cause me to forfeit being a pastor. Are you following me? I could receive forgiveness from the church for it, but I would forfeit the privilege of being their pastor because of something I've done. In other words, restoration does not necessarily put everything back. Uh, for instance, if, if Brother Roger uh, borrowed money from me and then didn't pay me back, and, and it just went on and on, and it became obvious he wasn't going to pay me back. He doesn't know me anything, by the way. I'm just using this as an illustration. But <clears throat> I, I, for, and I say, you know, I, I'm getting bitter at Brother Roger, thinking about, you know, he owes me that $100, and he just won't cough it up. And he's not going to do it. And, and uh, this has gone on and on and on. And then I realize I'm getting bitter and sour and I can't pray and I can't because I've got unforgiveness in my heart. So I forgive Brother Roger from my heart and I say, you know something, it's just $100, it's no big deal. Uh, I forgive this brother and I'm not going to carry, he doesn't know me anything. But he comes to me later and says, hey, you know, I was wondering if I could borrow some money. The answer is no. <laughs> that doesn't mean I've not forgiven him. I have forgiven him. You don't owe me the previous 100 but I'm not going to be dumb either. And keep giving out money. So you see people get confused about what forgiveness is. It's not reconciliation. It's not total restoration in some cases. Uh, one time 
And I, I want to be careful, man. It's so difficult nowadays with online services. I don't want to say something that gets carried back and hurts somebody. But I remember one time dealing with a man who had done something very uh, criminal with a child. And it had to be dealt with. And, and I forgave the man. It wasn't, it wasn't toward me. But nevertheless, it caused trouble where I was pastoring. But he lost some privileges. And somebody immediately uh, said, not to me, but to someone else in the church, I thought we were forgiving. I thought Christians were supposed to have grace. I thought Christians were supposed to be forgiving. And I said, we have forgiven. But I said, if you're so forgiving, uh, that same man said he'd like to watch your five and six-year-old grandchild while you went shopping next weekend. You can forgive him. But you can't, amen, you don't have to restore the original trust that you want had. Are you seeing this? See, a lot of times the devil comes and gets you all confused what forgiveness is, is going to entail. Listen, I'm going to use wisdom if somebody's hurt me. That doesn't mean forgiveness means, that. well, I'm just going to lay down and be a doormat for you to do that to me again. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what? What is the definition? The definition is, I Forgive you, that means I release you from all obligations. Here it is. You owe me nothing. You're forgiven. Now, that's a big... You don't owe me an apology. I'm forgiving you. Whether you ever apologize or not, I've forgiven you. You don't owe restitution. You don't have to come and grovel and roll around and and beg me for forgiveness. I'm extending it to you right now. Uh, Whether you deserve it or not, I am forgiving you because I am saying you owe me nothing because I'm not going to poison myself anymore holding on to this grudge, nursing this grudge. I forgive you. You owe me nothing. And here's the thing. Here's how I come to that definition. In this passage, forgiveness is connected as it is in several other passages in the Bible to a debt that is owed. So when you start thinking, you know what, we, what do we automatically think of with a debt? We think of money. And when money is owed, if we forgive someone because they say, I can't pay you back, that means what? You, you owe me nothing. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me that money. You don't have to go out and start working to bring me the money because I am releasing you from this debt. That's what forgiveness is. That's the definition. It is you owe me nothing. I release you from all obligations to me personally. I forgive you. Now, that's a tall order. You say, oh, brother, all top. I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't know. Yes, you can. Because the same Savior that prayed when they drove nails through his hands and feet after they'd crowned his head with thorns, after they'd spit in his face and ripped his beard out and whipped his flesh until it hung in ribbons off of his back, The first thing out of our Savior's mouth when that cross went into the ground with a thud was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what he said. That same man lives inside of you. You know who came out of Stephen as he was dying and they were uh, taking their coats off so they could wind up and get a better shot and and more power behind the rock they were going to throw at Stephen? He said, "Uh, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Where did he get the grace and the power to do that? That was the Savior that lived inside of him that could do that. It's grace that gives you the power to forgive people. 
And you say, how do I forgive them? Listen, you don't even have to necessarily go to them. You might not be able to. You know how you forgive? You go to God. You say, Lord, and you just dump it out there. This is what they did. This is how I felt. This is what it did for me. You know all about it, God. And I'm eat up with bitterness and I'm eat up with irritation and all of these thoughts and, and I'm, I'm wrapped up in this and I want free of it. So I'm freeing them and I'm forgiving them. They owe me nothing. Give me the great. You say, I don't, what if I don't feel it? You don't have to feel it initially. You do it by faith. You choose to do it. And you tell God you need grace to do it. And then as time goes on, the feelings will catch up. That's the way it usually works. You say, well, how will I know, Brother Altop, if I've really... He's, listen, Jesus said in verse 35 that he said that we're going to be tormented unless we, from our hearts, forgive every one his brother their trespasses. So how do I know if I've forgiven well, number one, I'll tell you this. Romans twelve nineteen says it this way. Avenge not yourselves, but give place to wrath. And he says, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Well, in other words, when you have forgiven, you'll know you've truly released them and forgiven them. And they owe you nothing when, number one, you quit entertaining thoughts of vengeance. Fantasizing about what you're going to say in the parking lot if this ever happens. I mean, you know, we'll, let's just be honest. We do that sometimes. We get some kind of scenario going. We'll be driving down the road. We'll be get to thinking about that, working up a fresh mad all over again. You know, just driving and thinking. And so I'll tell you what I'll say. Oh, I'll get them good on this one. And then I'll bring this Bible verse in here and just slam them with that. And that'll even things out. No, when you forgive them, you don't do that anymore. You quit you quit fantasizing about getting even and, and, and making them grovel in front of everybody and displaying what they are in front of everyone. I remember one time, and listen, what did that verse say? Romans twelve nineteen. you can look it up later. When it says, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. He says, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He's telling you, I'll take care of this. And that's a comforting thought. In other words, I forgive them, Lord. I'm not big enough to know how to even reconcile all this. And I just want to be free from these bitter feelings. So I forgive them. I, they owe me nothing, Lord. I'm clear of this thing. And I'm clearing them of what they've done. I forgive them just like you've forgiven me. Give me the grace to follow through on it and not be bitter. That's a breakthrough right there. That's when revival might flood your soul. And you say, well, what, what are, are they going to get away with it? I had a situation one time where uh, there was a money issue between two church members. Boy, I don't know, Brother Roger, what you teach here, and I would never overstep my bounds, but I warn our church all the time, y'all be careful about doing work one for another. Now, it's fine. I think it's a great thing. If you can get your brother to come, I love having the brethren come, and man, if they can do a job and all that, but you have to be willing to take, take it on the chin. You say, what do you mean? All oh, money sometimes can get people sideways. Not sometimes. It can. It does. And you know, all of a sudden, well, I'll tell you what, he was... He didn't get that job done when he said he's going to get it done. And boy, that was a little bit more than I was expecting to have to pay. Boy, you know, and they start making comments about, no wonder you drive one of them 2020, uh, 21 trucks right there. The prices you charge. <laughs> you know, and then he gets in the car and he says, oh, I tell you what, he ain't going to get it any cheaper anywhere else. Boy, he's a, a slave driver. He expected me to get six hours of work done in two. I don't know what, you know, and that stuff gets started. 
Paul said, why not rather take the defrauding? Don't take them. Remember there in 1 Corinthians 6? And they were taking one another to court. And that before the unbelievers. And Paul says, why? You know what? Church unity is more important, amen, than you getting a, a pound of flesh and an ounce of blood from somebody. He said, why not rather just take the defrauding? Just take the loss. How much is church unity worth to you? To give the Spirit of God free course to work in the services. And this lady had had some trouble. And I said, she go, I said, listen, you're not going to get your money back. This scenario, I had already, uh, before this ever happened, I had warned them, you better not do this, this, and this. And they did exactly what I said not to do. So it created this tension. And she goes, if I forget, I said, just forget about getting your money and forgive her. She said, if I forgive her, she's going to get away with it. I said, listen, do you think, I said, would you like to be in her shoes at the judgment seat of Christ? People don't get away with anything. They're going to answer someday. You know what would be better? I know this, that Jesus Christ can settle the books better than I can. I read the story about Samuel Harris, an old Baptist preacher from Virginia back in the 1700s. This is a classic example of what I'm saying. He had a neighbor. This man was greatly, they called him the prophet of Virginia. He had the touch and the power of God on his preaching. And he had a neighbor. They had a farm and he was being used so much of God that his farm, he didn't get to plant a crop. He didn't, his farm was not well cared for because he was out preaching meetings all spring and all summer. And his neighbor, who was tending his, uh, the crops of his own, had a bumper crop, uh, just a huge harvest this particular year. And that neighbor owed Samuel Harris money. So Samuel Harris, winter was coming on and he didn't have food and they were going to need that food to feed his family. So he went to his neighbor and he said, you know, brother, I let you borrow some money. And he says, and I really need that by, by wintertime because my, my family, I don't have a crop like you do. And he says, well, you should have tended to your farm. And he says, well, he goes, I would have. This man wasn't a lazy man. He was just off doing the work of the Lord, which he felt took priority over his farm. And he said, uh, he goes, well, what are you going to do? He says, sue me for it. And the neighbor did that because he knew how, how much Samuel Harris followed the Bible. First Corinthians 6 no lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. And so this neighbor said, sue me if you want it. Take me to court. And he said, well, could you, if you don't have the money to pay, could you give me uh, what you owe me in, in your crop? And he says, no. You want that money? You'll have to sue me. So Harris was between a rock and a hard place, as they say. And he was fixing to leave town and preach a meeting. So he went to his prayer place in the woods. I'm talking about forgiveness. And he's out there and he prayed. And he got his answer. So on the way out of town, he was riding past on his horse and that neighbor's servant was down front and he flagged him down. He said, take this to your master. And he reached him in a folded envelope. And in that envelope was an invoice for that bill. And Samuel Harris had written, paid in full, forgiven. And he rode out, preached the meeting and he came back a week later and the neighbor saw him coming and he ran out and flagged him down and he held that invoice up. He said, what is this? He said, I told you if you want your money, you're going to have to take me to court. He said, why did you give me this? He said, oh, I did take you to court. He's, he said, I've already taken you there. He goes, I didn't. He goes, you haven't taken me to court. He said, I sued you in the courts of heaven. He said, I told the Lord Jesus Christ what you were doing to me. He told me to forgive you, and I have. You don't owe me anything. 
And he says, well, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm not going to do anything. He says, the Lord said he would take care of me and he would settle with you on the day of judgment. They said before the sun set, that man had wagons lined up with wheat and everything else, backing it up into Samuel Harris's barn. Because he'd rather just go ahead and pay the debt than to face God on judgment day. Do you ever think about the fact that when you forgive someone, you're just removing yourself from the situation saying, I'm not going to get bitter. I forgive you. You, And if you don't want to reconcile with me, if you don't want to make restitution, then the Lord can deal with you someday. And I'm not going to sit around and try to avenge myself. How do I know I've forgiven? Because I quit fantasizing about what it would be like to get even. And, And then secondly, you quit talking about it. You quit talking about it. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Facebook has created drama upon... I hate drama. I can't stand drama. Hysteria and drama solve nothing. It just keeps the the gossiping gums flapping. And when you forgive somebody, you stop talking about it. Because you talk about it. The only reason you talk about it, and I'm guilty, the only reason you talk about it is because you want that person that's listening to you to sympathize with you and say, yeah, I can't believe they do that. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, they did this. And we love to point fingers. This guy right here in our text took him by the throat. And if you got somebody by the throat, you've got the other finger, you're pointing at him. And he said, I'm going to get you. You owe me a hundred pennies. And listen, you'll stop talking about it. No more indictments on Facebook. No more throwing them out there uh, to, to have them made to look bad and all of those things. Because you know what happens? You know what you're doing? They may have sinned against you, but now you're in sin. You know something? I've, I've been guilty. I said I've, I'm guilty. I'll just give you an instant. As a pastor, there's so many times that situations arise. You find yourself in a, in a, a, a difficult situation and it's not being handled right. The person's being less than gracious and, and, and all of these things. And you want to talk about it to somebody to let them know this is my side of the story. That's not, they're, they're, they've left you know, this point and that point out and they're wrong here. And after all, they, their problem is this. And you know something, it feels good when you're doing that. But you know what happens when you walk away? You feel unclean. Because you realize, why, why, am I got, why do I have this feeling of unrest in my heart and chest? And it's because the Spirit of God's not going to bear witness. He's, he's grieved by that kind of activity. But see, we rationalize in our minds, yeah, but they did such, such and such to me and they're out of control. So it's okay for me to take this posture. We kind of think like this. We, we forgive everybody that agrees with us and grovels with us. But if they don't, then we feel like Jesus gets behind us and says, all right, killer, get him. He sanctifies our fleshy attitude. That's not, that's not the way it works. Quit talking about it. You know you're forgiven when you quit fantasizing about getting even and you quit talking about it. And number three, when you can start praying for them like the Lord Jesus told you to. Look what it says in Luke 6. Listen to this, verse 27 and 28. He says, I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. When you can get down and start praying a blessing on the people that have wronged you, I'm talking about for real, in private. Okay, and I'm not talking about at the public Wednesday night prayer meeting. Oh, uh, dear God, for, uh, I forgive brother so-and-so over there for being such a scoundrel. God, would you bless him? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your private prayer closet where you can say, God, 
I've forgiven this person and I want you to bless them and help them because they need help and they, and you can do it. You can bless them. You can be good to them and you pray for them and do good unto them. Your pastor taught me a great lesson about, uh, it's real simple. Charity never faileth. And when you're kind to people, they don't, they don't know what to do about those kind of things. You want, really want to confuse your enemies? Be good to them. Amen. But now that's the definition, and that's how you know that you've forgiven. Those three things, I believe. But number two, there's also deception. In verses 31 through 33, if you hold on to unforgiveness, the Bible says, When his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's the deception. Now you say, what, what was he deceived about? He had forgotten. He was deceived about how good his Lord had been to him. And therefore he extended none of that forgiveness to his fellow servant. Now you say, what are you talking about? The devil is a great deceiver. He starts off in our Bible, three chapters in, he comes in deceiving. When it says beguiled Eve, that means deceived her, according to 1 Timothy 2. He deceived her. At the end of the Bible, three chapters out, it talks about the, decept- the devil that deceived the nations. So his ministry never changes. It's a ministry of deception. And he deceives the saints when you don't believe the Bible. And he comes, that's how, he, by the way, People are, uh, have asked the question, I know what kind, I'm know i in an independent fundamental church, and the argument's always been, you think the devil can possess a Christian? Well, I would say no, because you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. But let's not stop right there. That's not where the subject matter ends. He may not be able to get inside of a born-again believer and take control in the control center. But here's what he does. He gets into our heads. And if you can get into somebody's mind... You can partly control their behavior. Now, I don't say this tonight to start no trouble. I told them in our church, we're going to give a a big area for people to maneuver, make their choices about what to do, come to church or stay in the parking lot, listen to the FM transmitter, radio broadcast, wear a mask, not wear a mask. We're not here making fun of that. And I don't want to get church all up in arms over stuff that's not even in the Bible. But I do, I did, I I do believe this, this last two years of just fear-mongering and propaganda has gotten to people's minds. And once it gets into their head, what does it affect? How they behave and how they expect you to behave. I still don't understand. I'll be driving down the road and I see, I look over at a stoplight. Somebody's alone in their car with a mask and a mask box up, you know, taped to the sides of their face. And it's like, there's not even anybody in the car with you. Why are they behaving that way? Because somebody got into their mind. And the devil comes to take over in our minds. And he gets a hold of our imaginations. That's the place of the stronghold. He gets the stronghold in our thinking. And the deception about unforgiveness is, is, is this. I'm going to prove to them that they've messed with the wrong person. And I'm going to pout, and I'm going to give them the silent treatment, and I'm going to make innuendos, and I'm going to talk about them, and I'm not going to forgive them until they come crawling. Well, they're probably not going to come crawling, and I got this news for you. You're deceived because they don't care that you're giving them the silent treatment. 
They don't care that you're uh, trying to prove something to them. You're deceived when you begin to act that way. And that deception has to do with the fact that it causes you to forget how gracious God has been to you. I don't want what I deserve on the day of judgment. I want and I have mercy. That's what I need is a lot of mercy and grace. And I get it abundantly in Jesus Christ. How could a Christian who's been forgiven so much be deceived enough to think that it's okay? Think about how deceived this guy was. A 10,000 talent debt is cleared just because he fell on his knees and said, have patience with me. But then he walks out of there and someone owes him 100 pence and he takes the guy by the throat and says, you're going to pay? How deceived is that? In other words, we ought to be the most gracious and forgiving people on the face of the earth. And you know, the classic story of this, I believe, is Luke 15. We call it the the parable of the prodigal son. It's really not about the main character in the prodigal son. He gets a lot of attention and he makes great preaching. But you know who that parable's about? The elder brother. That elder brother's the main point. Jesus Christ is showing the Pharisees who were murmuring for him receiving sinners. He is showing those Pharisees their reflection in the mirror with the elder brother. Because the friends of the people who lost something, whether it's a lost coin, whether it's a lost son, whether it's a lost sheep, those people who were friends to the owners of what was lost rejoice with them when what was lost is found. But the only people that don't rejoice are the ones who aren't friends of the one who found something. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm finding these lost people and receiving them. If you were really in tune with me, you would rejoice with me. But he shows them uh, uh, the classic example in that Romans 1 list of sin. It uses the word implacable. Implacable means people that you cannot satisfy, people you cannot please, you you can't do anything right for their liking. You know who that is in that story? That's the elder brother. He comes in from the field and he says, what's going on? I hear music. I hear a party going on. Listen, if I hear music and a party going on, give me a chance to get showered up. I'm coming in. Amen. This sounds fun. I've been out working all day. But instead he comes in and goes, what's going on? What's, what's happening up in there? Hey, uh, your, uh, your brother came home and your dad received him, killed the fatted calf. Come in and have a slice. He's like, here's what he did. I ain't going in because the father went out to him. He's going to stand out there like this. You know what he is? He's unforgiving. And he's been keeping score of all that he did right versus all that the brother did wrong. He's implacable. He's deceived. I don't want to be the elder brother. I don't want to be him. And right here, that deception comes in in the fact that the devil will say, you don't have to, if you don't forgive them, you're going to teach them a lesson. Your unforgiveness doesn't hurt them. It's killing you. Number three, there's dangers in unforgiveness. Notice back in our text, after he said, should you have not shown compassion even as I had pity on thee? Verse 34, his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. You know what the danger of harboring unforgiveness in your heart does? It causes the heavenly father, the one who's forgiven you so much, this king, this Lord in this passage, to deliver you to the tormentors. Now you say, well, what's that talking about? Well, 
many times comparing Scripture with Scripture will give you an insight. And that passage I quoted at the beginning of the message about forgiveness, where it says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do you know what's in that list previous to that? It talks about grieving the Spirit of God. What grieves Him? He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor Clamor is talking about what you're mad about. And evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice, evil speaking, clamor, anger, wrath, bitterness. Those things, listen, grieve the Holy Ghost of God. Those things are the tormentors for unforgiving Christian people who harbor resentment and unforgiveness toward hurts. You know, it's amazing to me. We sing that song, Count Your Many Blessings. We, we don't count blessings. We forget them immediately. But I'll tell you what, there's Baptist people that have a Rolodex up here that they can go through and they can tell you where they were at, the date, who said what, what was meant by that. They can go back through all that stuff. They've kept it stored in an unforgiving file in their mind. And you know what they are? They're miserable. Miserable people. Miserable Christians, they're sour, and they can't even figure out why. They think it's everybody else. Somebody told me one time, they have stolen my joy. I said, that's not true, because Jesus Christ in John 16, 22 says, the joy that I give, no man taketh it from you. So you start this stuff about, preacher, you got to get them because they've stolen, they've robbed me of my peace and my joy. That's your fault, not theirs. Because of how you're reacting to what's happened. And I'm not telling you that you haven't gone through something hard. Remember? I'm just telling you that the dangers are you're going to be turned over. God is going to look down and say, how can I forgive you so much and you not forgive so little? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. Bitterness. Anger. That will torment you. That will torment you. And you'll find out that all every day the clouds are gray and the sun is covered up. You don't have the peace of God working in your heart. You can't get excited about revival. You can't enjoy singing. Why? It comes on and it creates torments. I'm going to tell you something. These kind of tormentors, anger and wrath and bitterness, this stuff will cause high blood pressure, sleeplessness, self-pity. Your spiritual well-being affects your health. That's why you've got to keep yourself in good spiritual shape. It'll, it'll cause stress and depression. That is not a picture of the victorious Christian life at all. Right? Uh, I remember reading in the David Berkowitz journal that I have where he prayed. And David Berkowitz, I've told you a little bit about him. I've corresponded with him for several years. He's a good brother. God changed him. He's a new creature in Christ. He was known in the 70s as the son of Sam. That serial killer up in Manhattan. And he killed six people in his... He shot 13, killed six. And after he got saved 10 years into his prison sentence, I mean, he got in. And he met the Lord Jesus. He's walked with him for 34 years and grown and matured. But one of the things that he said, he began to pray as soon as he got converted for the families of his victims. And finally, one day, one lady, the last young lady that he took her life so tragically in the summer of 1977... 
the mother of that young girl contacted him after 20 some years. He'd been praying. And she said, this is my phone number. I hear you're a Christian. I want you to call me. And he said, and in his journal he wrote, I'm going to have to pray for some real wisdom about this. And he talked about within about three months he had the courage. He said one Saturday morning he walked across that prison yard. This is back. I know you kids don't know what this is, but there was a thing called a payphone, And it was actually in a little booth. You could pick it up and put money in and all this. So there was a payphone there in the prison yard. And he talked about how it was freezing cold up there where he was at in Sullivan Correctional Institute. He picked up that phone and he dialed that number. And he said, I heard this old woman on the other end. Hello. He said, is this Mrs. Moskowitz? And she said, this is. She says, is this David? He said, yes, ma'am. And he said, for five minutes, he says, I broke down. And he said, I bawled like a baby and told her, I am so sorry for what I've done. And she said this. She said, David, I've already forgiven you because the anger that I've held in my heart toward you is poisoning me. She was unsaved. And she still knew, holding on to this hatred, this anger. You know what the news media did when they needed to get a good hysterical victim? They always hunted her up because she... If you see anything that uh, the old news clips, they'd say, well, you know, he's up for parole. And I mean, she would just, you'd, she'd see red. And who can blame her? 18-year-old daughter, for no reason at all, has her life ended. But she said, I've already forgiven you because that, that poison of bitterness was killing me, that unforgiveness. But I can tell you this, and I'll close right here. Forgiveness, when it's truly extended by the grace of God to those who have hurt you, abused you, slandered you, whatever the offense might be, when you consider what God has forgiven you, He'll give you the grace to forgive what anybody else may have done to you that was ungodly or wrong. And you're doing it. Forgiveness is not so much for them as it is for you. So you can press on in victory. But I'm going to tell you, when you extend forgiveness, there is deliverance from bondage immediately because the spirit of God bears witness with that kind of an attitude that's a Christ-like attitude and it does great things it sets you free from the bitterness and from the tormentors you want to get free from the tormentors of bitterness and and anger and malice then forgive and you'll be delivered from that and listen there's nothing more Christ-like than to forgive an enemy I know I've told you a lot of stories and I, I'm just always mesmerized by stories that actually happened in history. Not stuff that you make up, but things that actually happened. And I told you about oh, Edgar Harrell, who was on the USS Indianapolis. We talked about him in that Out of the Depths book a couple years ago. One of the things that was amazing was the fact that, uh, man, back in World War II, there was some, uh, there was some hatred between those nations. And uh, he, he said at that time, boy, when you were fighting, you hated the Japs, is what they called them. And uh, when he, years later at the survivors' meetings of that USS Indianapolis, he said one year, in walks this Japanese lady with a beautiful little girl. It was, uh, I think it was Hashimoto was the name of the commander that shot the torpedoes that sunk the USS Indianapolis. This was his daughter and granddaughter. And they came in, and he said she came in bowing down, you know, and, and she was scared to death to come to that survivor's meeting. And when she met Edgar Harrell, 
he talked about how he picked up that little girl and she said, I wasn't sure, she said, if you were going to forgive me. This is what he says at the end of his book. He said, people often ask me, do you harbor any resentment toward the Japanese people for what happened to you and all the others? The answer is no. But it took me time to gain a proper perspective. Over the years, I began to realize that the real enemy was not the Japanese soldiers, the sailors, the pilots, as barbaric as many of them were. For the most part, they were simply pawns on a political chessboard controlled by those in authority over them. But even if we cast the blame all the way up the chain to the leaders of Japan, we still haven't gone far enough. I believe in good and evil. I believe in God and his enemy, our adversary, the devil. The sheer evil that was birthed out of these leaders' diabolical points, uh, pack points of this supernatural enemy, he is the fiend responsible for the death and misery of millions of others, not only in their dreadful war, but all throughout history. My resentment for the Japanese gradually shifted to the real enemy of men's souls. Man's only hope is triumphing, triumphing over sin, Satan, and death uh, is in God alone through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Armed with these eternal truths, I was able to let go of resentment and have compassion on my enemies. I learned to pray that God would be merciful to them as he had been to me. I also understood that we are most like God when we forgive others and that harboring malice only gives an enemy prolonged power to inflict pain. Since then, I've had the privilege to get to know Commander Hashimoto's granddaughter, Atsuko, She and her family are faithful attendees at every USS Indianapolis Survivors reunion. This is an incredible act of courage on their part. At the 2013 reunion, Atsuko and I hugged, and she thanked me for opening my arms and receiving her embrace. She told me she wasn't sure how I would respond. I told her how much it meant to me that she and her family would come to the reunions to honor us and our families And we agreed to build upon this friendship and promise to stay in touch. And when I visited Edgar Harrell, he said, she still comes by and we go out to eat together. Imagine her grandfather, actually, that shot those torpedoes and sunk that American ship. One of those guys that was in the water, those shark-infested waters for almost five days, is eating and friends with the granddaughter of the man that did his duty on that side while he did his duty on our side. And he says, I never feel more like the Lord than when I forgive somebody. Now You say, I don't have anybody to forgive. Well, that's fine. I'm glad you feel that way. How about you come to the altar and ask the Holy Spirit if that's true? Because you can deceive yourself. And if you get, you say, how do you know? I've tried it. I said, Lord, I don't know anybody that I, that I haven't forgiven But I'm going to ask you to bring to my mind anybody that I've got buried down in my heart, got some animosity toward. And you know something? There were some names came to my mind. I'm telling you, God, you say, you're playing psychological games. No, we're we're talking to the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts and who knows our hearts. And he knows what we got buried in the trunk way down below underneath the soil of our heart. Why don't you say, Lord, is there somebody that I'm still holding on to animosity toward that's killing my Christianity? Because if there is, you've forgiven me the 10,000 talents. How can I not forgive them the 100 pence? And I'm not mocking whatever you've been through. Please understand me. But I am telling you that God will give you the grace to forgive people. And forgiveness is for you even more than it is for them. What's forgiveness? You're released of all charges. 
I hold, you owe me nothing. I hold nothing against you. By faith, I choose to forgive you as my Savior has forgiven me. And you might be surprised at what floodgates might break and what God might start doing in your life. Amen, Brother Roger.